This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league, starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the planet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? Turns out, that story was way bigger than just an optical illusion. It's a cautionary tale about the decline of clickbait sites, the rise of algorithms and internet polarization, and the end of fun on the internet. Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My guest today is actor and comedian David Spade. You may know him from movies like Grown Ups and Joe Dirt, but now he's the host of a new game show called Snake Oil. This is Just Be with David Spade. Let's get into it. We're friends now. This is very exciting. I'm friends with David Spade. Like, you know, I'm a comedy snob and I don't like people that aren't funny. So you added to my uh, funny arsenal. Yeah. How did you think Pete Davidson handled what's going on? Like his, the opening, you know, statement about his father, which is tragic and kind of saying it's time to, you know, it's time to laugh. I thought that was a pretty good like segue into having a comedy show. There's not really any way way to do that. And have you been through anything like that where you've had to kind of be funny when it's not that funny? You know, uh, I'm sure he did a good job. I didn't see it, but I know they, 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 you know, like nine 11, there's things where you, you have to, sort of make the transition. I mean, everyone's tuning into a comedy show, so you sort of know ahead of time if you're going to try to escape uh, the news 24 hours, that that's what you have to do. It is hard to be on it also and be sort of light. Um, Fair. Fair. Because when you're part of it, you're, you know, you're not an exception to all the problems going on. Uh, I've had, I haven't had that situation. I have had, being mad and going on. You always have to be sort of fun and a good mood to do comedy. And uh, there's fights at SNL. There's fight. There's art. There's getting off the phone in the green room uh, when you're going on to do stand up, and you're and you're in a bad mood. And then you have to just walk. Away. You're like, it's such. It's so hard to change up when you're in a bad mood to just be like yada da da right into John Benet Ramsey. You know, you have to be like, yeah. Oh. It's very hard to do. So that that's <laughs> tough on in comedy world. But what do you do? Because also you have like a, I, we were on the show Snake Oil together, everyone. Um, David Spade hosts it. It's a, it's on Fox. It's hilarious. I have to say it is so, it, I keep saying it's so stupid and smart. It It is. And you're, the thing is you're like dispassion and being unflappable <laughs> works for it. Like, so you can be a little grouchy in your comedy because it's kind of your whole shtick, right? Your bit. And it's you, it's who you Yes. When we first met, it was Will Arnett said, uh, I knew him. We just did Smartless. And then he goes, you know, you, would you want to do this thing? Because uh, we had a blast on podcast. And then he goes, We're, I said, I'm not really, I, uh, I'm not against game shows. I'm just not my thing. I'm not like high energy. Uh, you know, I wouldn't mind an easy job where I say, I literally thought that job was spin the wheel and pick a letter. And then I would just be like this <laughs> a half hour and then money gun comes out spray me uh but it it was it was really hard so i said yeah because the idea sounded funny to me kind of like shark tank but one of them's fake you know and that and and it's kind of more comedic Mm -hmm. 
once you see it, like you, you were on my favorite one. I'm not even bullshitting. You were on the one that I said should go first because a, you're such uh, you're perfect for the show. You're no BS. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Never. You're very direct. You've never heard that. And, uh, <laughs> but you have a charm about you and you're, and you're smart in business and people buy that already because it's been proven, I guess. So I would never believe it, but it's been proven. Yeah, it's snake oil, but it's okay. So you go out there and then you also are passionate about winning money for the person that doesn't have a lot of money. And that's a really fun thing that you don't get to do in life, really. And it's and it's on the line where you your decision, you're steering her, could ruin it. And that's a, that's a, that's a weird part of the show too that uh i didn't really notice until i was watching it for a while and doing it going this is so tough that anything they say to them if they somehow lose because all the stars were very sweet in really pulling for their person like you want them to win of course mm-hmm. and your girl wanted a lot that was the I, oh and we already saw that yeah i don't know if my my other one i'm not going to say what happens but in one case the guy he doesn't listen. He didn't even consult me. Do you remember the one when the guy didn't even consult me? And then he made a decision. Oh, you know, I don't because I remember this one the most with the woman because she was in Arizona. I remember that. Yeah. Simon. Oh, right. Okay. The show, the way it came about. Then I said, okay, let's try it. I just said, is it, is it easy? Because I'm not really, they go, we want you to be the anti-game show host. I said, well, it's better because I'm more like a letterman than a talk show host. I would make fun of the show. I'd make fun of myself. I'd make fun of them, the production. And they said, yeah, now when we shoot it, it's probably four hours. You were there. So we got it down to four hours. <laughs> so it was seven at first. I'm like, God damn, what could possibly be happening for seven hours? <laughs> and uh, there was a, a rumor that this was going to be easy at one point, but I guess that was in a separate meeting <laughs> because I was busting me hump. And so we do it, we do it, we do it. And a lot of stuff gets taken away because you just really need the nuts and bolts to show the game and that's it, right? So I like it because the products are actually hard to decide, which is snake oil. That's the best thing about the whole show. Beyond, beyond. Like, I think it's yeah, easy they, and it's not yeah. easy at all. No, it, no. And you, it's a bait and switch for the audience. It's a great, I, I have to say, good for you. Good for Will Arnett. It's a great show. I hope they continue and I hope you, you know, are on it forever because it's fucking hilarious and very stupid. I came in lack of day. I came in with your energy level <laughs> and I, I left like giving everybody cars in the audience. <laughs> you were like this. Yeah, yeah I, I liked it. Well, you did a great job and it was fun because, you know, I want I want them to show more of the thinking out loud because, you know, that last uh, in your episode that aired, the one that aired already, there's five products and you're trying to decipher which ones are real. And we were there for like 10 minutes doing, it. you know, in the show it's shortened, but it's like that one wouldn't make sense. You're just thinking for the audience because everyone at home, you know, the good thing about it is people call me and go, you know what? I got two out of the four or I got, you know, my friend really was doing well because you can't help but just kind of, ch- you know, if you, if you walk by and go, no, well, that one's fake. And then they show the next one, which looks even more stupid. And you go, okay, go back to the first one. And that's what happens. You start to go, Remember the one time when there was that big bear, which you really broke that case wide open with, with the, the batteries. batteries. Yeah. I cracked, that, I cracked that case. <laughs> you broke him down. It was like the spotlight with the investigator. And he goes, and you go, what does it run on? You kept going deeper. And he's like, I've only been coached <laughs> to this far. And then he started <laughs> vamping and he was not. He was like, it runs on double A's. And I'm like, I think uh, I've seen smaller vibrators that run on uh, D's. Right. Yeah. You're so. right. Because, well, your your girlfriends have to use vibrators because you can't get it done. But yeah. Well, you asked me to audition, so hopefully I'll come up with some good material. Um, because I want to open up for David Spade. That's my that's my. Oh, life that's support. right. You do say funny things on text. So I was like, hmm, maybe. <laughs> Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the internet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? But there's way more to this story than that. The dress went viral in early 2015, marking one of the last months that the internet could still be fun. It was just before Trump declared his candidacy for president and polarized and already polarized internet. It was just shy of people deciding what went viral instead of algorithms, And it was just shy of celebrities realizing that they should never, ever tweet. It's more than a character of the day. It's an entire moment in time bottled in a little, well, either blue and black or white and gold package. I'm not relitigating it again. You cannot make it. And that's just one story. We've got a million. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I did do stand up one night, one time, and I didn't know you. Otherwise, I would have called you for your advice. But I have a lot of respect for comedians for this one reason. Um, I literally I texted Chris Rock, Ellen, Kathy Griffin, um, uh, Kevin Nealon. I ended up speaking to Kevin, a bunch of comedians, and every single one responded to me with advice. Except Ellen said, "Be funny." Like that's literally what Ellen said. But Chris Rock gave me three paragraphs on really what to do. And I learned through that experience that A, everyone has a different, not just style, but like technique, like how to organize it, which I found fascinating. And like, I remember Chris Rock saying, the end and the the beginning is, is important. The middle is just a flow and come, don't come with a posse, go private. And I think Kathy Griffin said the opposite of the private part. And then Kevin Nealon was the one who really made me realize that everyone had their own different vibe. Like, is it in and out with quick jokes? Is it like telling a whole story? And Kim Whitley told me that my way is um, ranting. And I didn't even think of it that way. So I thought it was interesting to organize it. And I wanted to know like what your process is. I saw you that last week up on stage and I saw you working through stuff, which I think is really cool. And people probably like to watch you like at the piece of paper working through stuff. So what is your process? You know, first of all, it's very nice. Everyone told you advice because it's so hard. Um, Because when people are newer, I just feel like you have to do so much. You learn yourself, but you have to keep going up and like recording it. And then it's excruciating to listen to yourself. But you listen and you go, I thought that one worked, but really what worked was something I said after that. So I got to keep that. You know what I mean? And you're listening Mm. down and go, because just the whole thing is a blur. It probably goes by faster than you think. 
And it's terrifying when you're watching that way. When I went out and did the first uh, Johnny Carson, like that's old I am. I got to do one Johnny Carson. When I walked out and I'd seen it this way where the curtain and everything, the thing that threw me is walking out and then I saw a cameras, audience, huh. Johnny kind of behind me. And all my whole brain was just filled with how different it was than I pictured. Huh. I was like, God, the floor is so shiny and black. <laughs> and I had to walk up to my little ex or my star and I'm like, and I thought, oh, it was like slow motion. I go, wait, I got to go now? And I couldn't, it's hard to remember your act because this is occupying my brain. So that that's a separate issue, but it's definitely takes a lot of repetition. Um, when you saw me, that was actually a really fun night. That was like a, an unpaid corporate event. And corporate events are ones where you get paid a lot to come in and do it for like, you know, an insurance company. This is all our best guys. They right. come in. Here we bring our employees. We have you tonight, Stevie Nicks tomorrow, and everyone's a surprise. And then they get to have an hour of fun. And uh, they're not always easy because they're like in the middle of, you know, eating and talking. Right. And then they go, we got a surprise. And like, oh, this fucking guy. So then mm-hmm. I go on and I'm like, yeah, da, da. but they're not a comedy crowd audience. It's usually lit. It's like a cafeteria. Sometimes it's in the day. They don't always go well, but it's really a grind because you really have to stay on your act because when you're not going well, that's hard, too. Because mm-hmm. I'm editing as I go. I look at my set list and I'm like, get rid of that. They're not going to, nope, nope. Mm-hmm. And I got you know, to go, go. The other night I did the same thing. So for the audience at home is uh, you come to an event. I think your daughter was a fan of all the Half Madison Sandler stuff. And I was like the best. Um, and The Wrong Missy is her favorite movie yeah. ever. Yeah. And so... I said, the best thing is there's one event where me, Rob, and Adam are all going on, just coincidentally. I think you even were aware of it. And it's like a pay, you know, they pay, people pay to come in and it's for a, they're building a new urgent care or whatever. So that was a fun one for us because it was us three. And it's kind of fun for the audience because we know each other. So we're kind of making fun of each other. But Rob goes on. It, it was still sunny out. That's a, a kiss of death. When it's still light out, it's very hard to get oh, the audience. Oh, fascinating. Yes. And there's no roof, so the laughs go straight up. It's outside. Uh, it's at my manager's house. And then behind it is the ocean. So it's too pretty. It's You'd rather look at that. So when the, wow. it gets darker, I said, I cannot go on until it gets darker. So Rob's vamping. Then they do the auction. Rob does great. You know, he's just, he, he loves that stuff. He's better at it than me. And then. I loved him, by the way. I loved him. Yeah, he's a good guy, and uh, he's got a rap out there sometimes, but he is super nice, family man, and we always crack up on the road. I've known him forever. And so he was doing great, brought me up. I went off the notes because those kind of things, people have more fun if you're if you're off your act. You know, if I make fun of the house, mm-hmm. if I uh, make fun of, you know, who was in the front row? Oh, Pierce Brosnan and Cindy Crawford. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I didn't even see them. And then in the middle, I'm like, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. Joke, joke. And then knowing Adam's five feet away laughing. And then I'm, oh, yeah. My favorite joke was when my joke bombed, I look at my set list and I go, oh, my God, this is Adam's set list. No wonder <laughs> these jokes suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm reading the wrong one. Adam, these are horrible. Uh, <laughs> so any joke that bombed, that was a good crutch to go to. And then, but you were laughing at which one, the dog one? David, which obviously you'll do it or not do it, but does this thing about like you, you're talking about the perspective. You are the dog. You're talking yeah. to us from the perspective of the dog. And I, we were crying. Yeah. You know, a lot of animals, I realize talk in my act. The bees talk, the dog talks. I, I don't really think of it that way, but later I look through and I'm like, God, that's part, maybe that's something that's one of my hooks that I do because it just makes me laugh when you look at other perspective. Uh, that one was the dog that doesn't act embarrassed enough when he falls at my house and uh, he acts like nothing happened. Uh, and so I walk you through what the dog, what's really going through his mind. Anyway, you have well, to you're see- like He's like, hey, that was my bad. I fucked up and I did overshoot the whatever he said. It's oh, yeah, really he, fucking funny. He's the he fucked up. He's like, I came in too hot. Uh, <laughs> there's hardwood floor. I didn't time it right. I have long nails. You're going to fall. <laughs> Um, I, I started to spin. I was hydroplaning. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. I hit the piano. It was a shit show. Yeah. I obviously knew what happened. I acted like I didn't. I walked away like, hey, so what else? What, what are you guys watching? Magnum? But I did know. And uh, let's keep this in the house because, you know, a lot of the dogs in this neighborhood look up to me. So it's really just 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 a long string of talking like a dog. 
And it's, it's funny to me. Um, that's a clean one, too. That's a clean one. Jesus Take the Wheel was the best part. But Adam, did, Adam, <laughs> that's my favorite part. Jesus Take the Wheel. I don't know why. And that, like, that's jumped off the page. And then Adam was, but he also, I don't know if that's coincidental, did something about his dog and his dog oh, looking at his penis. About his dog looking oh. at his penis. And he's like, I know, I saw something about, I'm not going to give up his joke because you guys are on the road. But I just, I don't know if there's something there with you guys and animals, like the perspective of animals. Everyone loves pets. It's fucking hysterical. Like what they're actually thinking I don't know. I was crying. Well, when really we were, funny. We were in the back, you know, when you do a corporate event, just more inside baseball, they usually say, keep it clean. And that's tough because, mm -hmm. because you can't always keep it clean. And I, uh, but they mean, I won't say the raunchy version, but they had one guy there that was talking about going down on a girl or something for 15 minutes. And, you know, people are eating. Old. So I think that's what they mean. That's really what they mean. They don't mean, don't say the F word. People can handle it. And, and mine is kind of light and stupid, so it's more silly where even if I'm talking about porn, it's not even that dirty where no one complains after when I do shows. So I can work stuff in where they say, don't even say the F word. And I go, okay, I say it 15 times. No one even notices because it's not filthy, dirty, you know? Right, right, uh, right, right. Go, oh, I know. Man, you just don't want people recoiling. Like, Holy shit, this is rough. And Adam backstage, I go, shit, there's kids here. And uh, I don't know, man. Are you? Do you have anything dirty? He goes, I go, how long are you going to be clean? He goes, five seconds. And he goes, I, I, I can't, I can't go one song without, I said, oh yeah. So I said, so I don't care. You don't care. And he goes, no. And I said, they don't care. And then I asked her if it's, and he said, no. The and only I, kid was my daughter. <laughs> I know. That's the only kid I saw though. And I go, shit, there's kids here. And they go, there's one. <laughs> and she seemed like she could handle it. So to give you guys context, Mark Gervitz is a power uh, manager who I've known for 30 years. A girl that I know dated him, was in love with him, and he just he was like her big, and he wasn't that interested. So it never, mm -hmm. it's the opposite of that, because he didn't come around like for that her. side story. She yeah, was, yeah, he was, she was in love with him. So anyway, he was always a power manager, even back then, always in comedy. And I used to work at Broadway Pictures for Lauren Michaels. I coincidentally did the Tommy Boy and Black Sheep premieres. So I've been in your sphere for a long time. Hungry. I remember Hungry. you being in Lauren's office with Chris Farley on his couch when I was working there. Um, so Crazy. Mark Gervitz, I texted him a while back and said, because Bryn loves comedy. And I said, listen, I know there's nothing going on now, but she's obsessed. She's seen all of Adam Sandler's movies. The Wrong Missy's her favorite thing. Like I've told him this stuff. Yeah. So he said, this is your night. You got to come. And then the Charity emailed me after I had paid for the tickets, booked the travel, canceled a trip to go away somewhere else and said, oh, you have a child and this is PG-17. I said to Mark, this is fucked now. It's like two days away and I'm going. And he's like, listen, they just don't want to be performing their acts for a bunch of kids. So I'll get you in. It's my house. So Bryn was the only kid and the three of you are very, I mean, that was dirty. And afterwards she was like, mom, I want to go take an improv class. You know, by the way, let me say, your daughter was so, I said to Robert Adam, I said, because we, Gervitz came back and I said, Adam, Bethany has her kid here. Will you say hi? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's always nice about that stuff, especially when it's not overwhelming. I think that's what anyone is. You are. Like, if you're with too many people and there's pictures starting, you go, uh-oh, this whole restaurant's getting in on this once you open it up. So mm -hmm. he was sweet. Your daughter was so genuinely like, um, nice and innocently sweet it's it, it sounds crazy but it's not as common as you think she was just very complimentary nice and was uh not pushy not anything i just was like walked away going oh what a sweetheart that was so good job thank I'm you that one on you uh, thank you give her some credit too and then um i remember i saw at gervitz that guy the rich guy that power managers a bit strong, but um, he, uh, he is my man. Is it though? Isn't no, he a fucking he is, comedy he is, he, power manager? He does have comedy. Neil, Neil who's a genius. Uh, Zach Galifianakis, me, Bill Maher, Dana Carvey, Dennis Miller, wow. Sam Lurie's involved in. Uh, they have so many there. Yeah, you're right. They it's, a fact, so it's a comedy there. factory over there. Enormous at Farley, you know. So forever they have a lot of SNL. But I did that gig. He has his own. That wasn't his show. Remember, because we're making fun of it. it was his house. He lent his yeah. house. It's like an old cheesecake factory. And 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 <laughs> and his um, <laughs> that's the one I forgot to say because it kind of does. Uh, and he has his own charity, you know, for uh, EB. So we do it, you know. And and one year I opened for like 
Jackson Brown. The next year was they have a comic. Zach Galifianakis did it with Tom Petty or you know Sting or something. So it's always fun. It's the same small area. It's like a great place to see a show. So I'm seeing Zach, who I think is high hysterical, and he's got his notes out, and I'm like. Same thing. I go, there's a ton of fucking kids here. I go, I did last year. And when I got up there, I, go, I was a little thrown because they're sitting in the front. It's like a, it's like a family barbecue. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> These jokes aren't all my dog talking and funny things. This is like, so I go, what are you going to do? And he goes, I, ah, shit, I got to be clean. And he's looking at stuff. And then he goes up, he does one joke and he goes, ah, fuck it. And he goes right into all the dirtiest shit within one joke. He, uh, I think he goes, uh, this isn't dirty, but he goes, I saw Michael J. Fox at Shakey's and um, guys, he was getting a pizza. <laughs> Shakey's is a little rough, but, um, and then he did another one, which I don't think I can do Heather because I think he doesn't do it anymore, but it was so dirty. And we were like this, everyone was Macaulay Culkin in the audience. But- I love how you have an audience when you do podcast. You have your own audience. You have like a built-in studio. Yay. No, no, I have about about 40 people here (laughs) and they come over. There's a spillover room where they watch on the monitor and no, they get paid. They all get an apple. (laughs) I like my snake oil audience. Every time they go, go all five, bet five. I go, don't listen to these idiots. They don't care. They, they yelled at the last person. They don't, they walk away with the same money. You lose a hundred grand. (laughs) Remember this part. I'll give it a little BTS, which I have to, I give snake oil this uh, because it is, they try to run a really tight ship there. I was new to it too. You're probably like, I'm, I'm there, you know, like four days when I saw you. So I'm getting used to it. But your person you help, your contestant, which is how the show works, celebrity helper that knows business. She was a sweetheart, you know, and she, the game is slightly complicated. <laughs> and that's what we're trying to simplify. It. But we, I over explain it, which is half my battle going, I can't, we're talking to them first like they're seventh graders and now like they're first graders. Like they're looping stuff in to go. And again, the word snake, it's not a real snake. It means, no. <laughs> so they just really have to make sure everyone understands it. Every literally single person. So I say to you too, this, you, you got to the final round. I can say this because I already heard. You got the final round. Now in the final round, there's, there's uh, all these products. It's going to sound crazy right now. People at home are going, let me see if I follow. You, there's three products. One is snake oil. Two are real. You have to pick the fake one and you get 50 grand. If you want four products, a little harder, one is snake oil. You get 75 grand. If you do all five, which is the hardest, and you pick the one, you get 100. And right when I finish, she goes, five. Because the crowd's going, five, five. And she goes, and I go, wow. Okay. Uh, okay. Five. And then someone in the crowd goes, she doesn't get it. And I go, Oh, do you not get it? And she goes, no, not really. And I go, Oh, okay. Well, and we had, and I, we stopped and then they came over, the producers came over to you guys. And I walked over while they're explaining it. Cause it is a little complicated. And she, if she didn't get it, like legally, we want to know, Know what you're getting into. And a lot of people do pick five because they go, fuck it, let's roll. I didn't come here to, you know. So right. I walk over and I was going to make fun of you because you know everything. And you go, this is so hard. And I go, what? Why do you not know? This is so e- easy. You're supposed <laughs> to be not- telling her. And then no. you go, well, this part is a little. And I go, right. So anyway, you guys obviously got it. And then she did it. And then she won. Actually, you were the one with the baby with all the things coming out of his head. I'm giving, I mean, guys, guys, David's, he's the hero. He's wearing the cape. He's the guest. So, well, the customer's always right. But no, $220,000, this woman won five products. I picked the one that was snake oil. No one did that the whole week, they said. So, I'd like, I mean, my prize. You killed it. And uh, it makes, <laughs> we were realizing what makes a good show. And what makes a good show is when somebody like that wins a lot of money. And it was, and my reactions are real. My friend in Arizona goes, I actually like that you are, I don't know if you're acting, but you, you're shocked. And I said, yeah, I tell them I don't want to know. So I'm just as dumb as everybody. And I'm always in my head going, well, that one's for it. And then when it is real, I can't believe it. And like the rat heart necklace, was that on your show? Yep. The rat heart necklace. And I go, no chance. 
And then it goes up against something stupider. And I'm like, it's like meat whiskey or something like God damn. Oh, no, th- no, you're great. It's either a, a rat's heart is in a vial around your neck, that that, or your grandmother's ashes have been put into an Etch-A-Sketch so you can do art with your grandmother's, your mm-hmm. dead grandmother's ashes. I thought the ashes was right because a rat heart, insane. When uh, you go, they go, so when they quiz them, they go, you, you have your own rat or do you have to bring a rat? And she goes, <laughs> we have rats or you send us a rat you like. And you dig out its heart. Right. What's that shipment process like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any FDA or anyone, any agencies involved in this, she's like, no, it's sort of an underground thing. It's do. actually it was smart of Will Arnett to have you do this because it's like really, you kind of have had an alternative career to say the least. Like you always do depraved, fucked up shit. And this is like the perfect mainstream network television depraved thing that you get to do. I, lo- I mean, have you created your career like by design or do you just fall into things like have you have you created did you set out with a trajectory for your career like this is how I want it to go and I'm just doing it my own unusual way unfortunately I didn't read all those books because when I was starting stand-up I said if I make enough to pay my bills I will quit school I will quit jobs quit school and I went early because I made 80 a week and I said okay I'm there and I was like looking back going 80 dollars that's where you thought was the ceiling but that was my only goal. I don't want to borrow money. I don't want to be reliant. And no one, my mom won't get mad at me if I leave Arizona State because I want to, I want to do this. Once I realize I want to do something, that's different. A lot of people don't have that luxury. You want to do something. I did. And that's, no, I agree. That's so funny. I was just talking to someone about their kid. They were saying he doesn't have a passion. Like yeah. it's very... Usually, if the if you ask for something in the universe, you you really could get it, but most people don't know what to ask for. They don't know what they want. It's a very poignant. That's, that's true. a very interesting statement. You had a path. I was going into advertising because I liked that. My dad did it. My brother was doing it. I said I kind of like it. It had a creative feel to it, and it it, it was sort of cool, you know. And I said I could do it. Any job's going to be hard. I think it's hard now because. There's a lot of pressure to be an influencer, something like it's like a pretend thing. Just mm-hmm. it's the easiest thing in the world. Like I just have to either look pretty or just run around and trick people and make them look stupid and I can make money. So it's a little blurrier now. Back then it was like real jobs. It was like, you want to be a carpenter? Oh no, it had structure, you're saying. Yeah, there was a little bit of structure to it. It was like a nine to five, blah, blah. And going into stand-up, especially in Arizona, is not the number one thing. It's like too much of a pipe dream. It was even probably worse than going to LA and being an actor, you know, even though it's so, it's so nuanced and niche that it would never happen. Yeah. No one was famous except maybe Hugh Downs, who I know you follow on Instagram. Yeah, of course. Um, Irma Bombeck. And you know, these people that when I grew up, I was like, these are our stars. So fine. But so I get your question was, I didn't ever think of SNL or anything. I wasn't a character guy. I loved SNL, but I thought, if I could sort of crack this code of stand-up, it's so hard, which made it so great because I'm like, I was kind of, I thought it was kind of smart, but not that funny. You know, there's everyone that's funny around work and this, and they get up there and bomb because it's a different muscle. So you got to try to do that. So I tried to do that and then get a little better, teensy bit better all the time and then get a little more. But, you know, my big hook was there was nothing. There was no one when I came to LA that was 20 with white blonde hair that looked 15. So I wasn't even the best. I, w- I had a hook. Here's here's the lineup when I go the, the first night. Leno, Seinfeld, Paul Reiser, Kevin Nealon. I'm like, these guys are all like 35. Gross. But um, I was just didn't look like a New York comic. And that was Interesting. the thing. Wow. So you went to New York and... and oh, that was LA. Had, wait, that was LA? You just said I went to New York. I started in LA and that's what the chalkboard said at the improv. And I was like, and I did amateur night and these guys helped me get on. And they said, yeah, you can call in for spots. I was like, even they were like, are you shitting me? Like right away. So I drove from Arizona back and I'd stay on their couch. I do like a spot at midnight. And then four days later, I do a spot at 830. And that was my week. And I got 28 bucks each. I think it's still like 45, but it's not a lot. And that's what I was supposed to live on. So couldn't live on that, but I'd already quit everything. Had to borrow a few bucks, and then I got a movie because I was 
getting a lot of auditions just because I was at the improv as a as an actual comedian, but looked young, so high school parts and stuff. So anyway, I'm trying to fit in this theme of what my lofty goals were. Everything it was not an overnight success. It was a series of small breaks that turn in seem like a big break. So SNL is a big break. Right. But, but it feels like golf, like you're going one hole at a time. Some are more struggle, but you're moving in like a direction that, you know, you're in the car and it's going in the right direction, but you yeah, don't okay. know where you're getting off um, and what's happening. Comedy club in Arizona got me on. That was a fucking huge thing. They let me keep coming on. Go to LA. Uh, the funny boys, this, this comedy team got me an audition. That was a big break. And then I got on and then I got to do the spots late night and then I got to host and then I got an audition. Then I got a little part here that I got a police academy movie and I got on the HBO young comedian special with Rob. Rob got on it. We were friends back then. Rob, Drake, say um, Dennis Miller hosted it. He helped me. Um, Gerbitz, they were uh, producing it. That helped. And then I got from that. Lauren Michael saw that. And so it just sort of, then I turned into a writer as no, I didn't want to be. Uh, it was, it was flattering, but I, they said, you can be a writer performer, but mostly just write for a while. And I was like, it's, it's too hard. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a fucking middle act. I'm not even a headline. So I wrote there and they're like, write for Dana Carvey, write for Mike Myers. And it was a great lesson in running with people faster than you because every single person there was better than me. So it was very hard to, it took a long time to get better. Conan Do you was write your stuff now? Yeah. All yeah. your stuff. I've always written, wrote on SNL, wrote my own stuff, but, uh, and, and you get better at it. But then, once I think I'm a decent stand-up, so once you start writing sketches, it's just such a, no one's really helping. So I have a legal pad. We don't have laptops. So I have to go to Conan O'Brien, Bob Odenkirk, Robert Smigel, Greg Daniels, who did The Office and did Kicking. I mean, these guys are so good. And they weren't super famous. They were just great, you know? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I'd ask them, how do I, what do I start with and how do I, and no one, they don't not care. They just are in their own lane. Mm -hmm. So they would help. Conan helped Bob. Uh, and then, you know, Sandler came a, a month or two later. Um, and then Farley and Chris Rock. So we all sort of started together. And then we all didn't really know how to do it. So you're not getting really written in something. I don't, I look too much like Dana Carvey and Dana was the best on the show. So I'm not getting really fed. I'm in the nest like this. He gave me a little warm. I and then I want another one because I get to do weekend update. And a week later, I'm like, now what? And they're like, you just did weekend update. And I'm like, I know, but I'm here every week. I got to do fucking something. Very competitive. Like, you're saying it's very. Yeah. Or like, why aren't you on? I'm like, because it's a miracle. I'm even in the building. I, this takes a while. So mm -hmm. I gave up on me, but doing SNL without being like a super improv, like, a, you know, doing impressions and characters. So once I sort of started in the Hollywood Minute, there's different things where Lauren is like, just do more like that. Just be like the Bill Murray, where you're just kind of yourself. And that was a good, that kind of clicked with me. I was like, yeah, Bill Murray in his movies is always kind of Bill Murray. And so interesting. I thought, I like that. Because I like Bill Murray. I'm not, I'm not as good as Bill Murray, but I'm saying just the idea of like, you're just kind of a version of that. I'm not immersing myself like De Niro. Right, 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 right. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. 
At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the internet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? But there's way more to this story than that. The dress went viral in early 2015, marking one of the last months that the internet could still be fun. It was just before Trump declared his candidacy for president and polarized and already polarized internet. It was just shy of people deciding what went viral instead of algorithms. And it was just shy of celebrities realizing that they should never, ever tweet. It's more than a character of the day. It's an entire moment in time bottled in a little, well, either blue and black or white and gold package. I'm not relitigating it again. You cannot make it. And that's just one story. We've got a million. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you've made money, you've you've proven yourself, you're successful, you've been in movies. What is your goal now? Like what do you want? What do you why are you going on tour? Um, what do you enjoy? What's your favorite part of this whole business? Like what are your goals right now? All right, that's a nine parter. Um, the first question <laughs> Well Let's go A. Chris Rock says no. every time like the wrong missy, he goes, he goes, wrong missies number one in the world for a week or two. He goes, this will buy you six months in showbiz. <laughs> That's mm. all if you really, until people forget. And then they go, what do you do? I see people in the street, cab driver, hey man, Uber now. Hey guy, uh, hey, you're, you're my favorite. Uh, what do you got coming out? That's just a random thing people just say. What movies you got coming out? I go, oh, the wrong Missy's out right now. I didn't see that, what else? What else? Dude, it took a fucking year to plan it, a year to shoot it, and a year to come out. You're already three years back in my movie career now. So now I got to do another one, and it won't be out for two more years. And, and guess who's still watching The Wrong Missy, though? Who still thinks about The Wrong yeah. Missy? Bryn. You and Bryn, yeah. And, it, and it's, so. that Wrong Missy really clicked. That that thing went bananas. They said it was a top two comedy of all time there, and then it's in the top ten of all movies. Anyway, we got lucky with that. Anyway, so, and, and Lauren, the Missy was the best part so so i do that and uh it, what i don't know i i do have a couple beans in my jeans they're going away quickly uh it's hard to keep making money a lot of things you know some people don't know a lot of things you do don't you don't get paid a lot for some things you do shockingly so you really probably couldn't tell if you were you know hosting the oscars you probably, i used to think if if jerry seinfeld was on uh you know the tonight show he got $10,000. That's about, that was my number in my head. I thought, yeah, being like 20 and you go, Interesting. Oh, you go to Ellen and you get $400 and I'm working on my bits for, to do 15 minutes out there and try to be funny. It's like so much work, but it pays yeah, off. You're making a point. You, you're saying the, the, uh, the corporate gig we talked about that is, you know, can be boring or you can bomb because they're eating chicken that pays doing a brand deal commercial. But the other stuff is all just marketing for that. And even the wrong Missy, I bet people think you made millions and millions of dollars. And I would, I, you didn't, I'm, you made money, but it's not crazy. In the movie biz, sometimes you, I would never get the best comedy out there. So you get a comedy, you know, especially the beginning, like when I'm doing uh, 
my first movies after Tommy Boy was very lucky to get that was Lauren. Mm -hmm. So here I am doing those. But when I'm off on my own, I'm not getting Sandler's movie. You know, you don't they go to back then, maybe Will Smith or you know Sandler was blowing up or whoever and whoever the big comics were. And so I'm getting ones that are dinged up a bit scripts that were passed on, but they go, Hey, we still want to make it. We want to make a movie with you. Can you look through this pile of dog shit with cobwebs on it? <laughs> if you can find something. And so it was up to me to go, let me take this, rewrite it. And that was luckily to have some skill of writing and say, nice. I didn't know that. That's cool. amazing. We can make it a releasable movie and it's very hard. And then we came up with our own ideas like Dickie Roberts, former child star. So that's a unique idea that even Paramount said, we actually like this so much, we want to buy you out and give it to Jim Carrey. And we want no. to make a $100 million movie. In, wow. So, wow. Like, and then, You've been the bridesmaid a couple of times. Yeah, but but I, I did it. You know, and I said, I get the business. I don't, and, and I think it was John said, I know you heard this rumor. It's crazy. It, you know, and I said, John, even if it's not a rumor. Who's I, John? John Goldman. Apparently. Oh, okay. He was a green lighter over there. And he said, you know, we had talked about that, but we were going full forward with this. We just love the idea. And I said, John, you come to me and say, you want a Jim Carrey at the height of his career? You know, I get it. It's, it is just business. I don't think you hate me. I just think you're just on a chart going, we can have a Jim Carrey movie this year. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I get it. But it's been a tough battle of just getting writing helping punching up anything i get try to make it better so when you say what do you take i take something and you sometimes take an opportunity where you think you can make it better because you're not always going to get a ton of opportunities so when you're in acting class go i don't do tv i don't do this you go take something and be mm -hmm. so good they have to uh notice you i agree and i do i feel we feel we sound like we're the old people in the room and we are, but I just think that a lot of young people want instant gratification and want to know because of shows like shark tank, frankly, they think that at 24, they should be know exactly what trajectory they should be on. And I think it's a disservice because I think the road is the, you know, you don't know where you're going to get off. You may hit a roadblock and then something amazing happens. I think just like the process is amazing. So many things have happened in my career that I would never have could never have envisioned. So that's why, I mean, and you're still, on that road. And that's why I ask, like you're going on tour with Rob and Adam right now, like or it's starting. Cause no, you mentioned oh, yeah, it the, I go on the road on my own and now okay. Adam wants to go on tour now. And I'm like, we had all summer off. So I have to go on my own tour and then I jump on some of Adam's. If it's not but is that, is that like the band is back together? Meaning cause it's boring at our age. You know what I mean? It's boring at our age. Like, what do we do? We don't go out. We don't party as much. Like, it's not, you know, I'm sure once in a while you're the old guy in the club, but like, it's not 10 years, 15 years ago. So like, that's the action, right? No, I um, am so fucking boring now. And uh, I, I'm good from about that window from 7 p.m. to 9, 20. But it's... <laughs> right? It's fine. That's where you saw me the other night. Hey, <laughs> you're hitting it. And then I'll be like, douche. But, but you didn't want, I know you didn't want to go. Like, not meaning you didn't want to do that beautiful event, but like, you don't want to go. Then you get there. You had fun. You interacted. And then the minute you get there, you're waiting to go home. And now it's like, you're going on the road. You'll probably dread it, but you'll have the best time. It's like, we're just well, sort of, you no, know, I got like Fort Worth coming up, Houston, all these places. And I don't go there a lot. So the gig itself is fun. It's always about getting there. It is tough. And, and, and the time change and the ones this weekend, one place was 30 degrees and the other one was 80. So you get off a plane or you're, you're like, holy shit. It just, all that stuff just, you know, over time grinds you, but stuff like on the road with those guys is fun. Um, I would do another grownups with them 90% to just, because I think he does a good job with those. And it's, it, it's so fun to see those guys. And when do we ever get together anymore? It's just so hard. So right. I love that. And I think Adam takes his time to make sure those are good family movies in the background. I mean, we're keeping the lights on at TBS. Have you noticed it's on 24 hours? Yes. Yes. But I see that in him, too. He was making a joke saying he's bored. You know, not no disrespect to his life, his family, but we're all at a certain age where he like wants to go on tour because it's something, some action. You know, I was talking to someone about that the other day, like. 
you're um, you're certainly not getting rich off of going on tour. What is that your favorite thing? What's your favorite thing? Doing a movie, doing stand up. Like, what's your favorite thing? I do like stand up when I'm out there because it's so fucking hard. Still, I mean, to do an hour. I was just doing it this weekend to get that connective tissue between jokes and to make it all make sense. And you say one word wrong, the joke doesn't work, and you're like, it's just hard, and you have to look over everything. And and it's still something that is I have to really try. I wrote something this morning, you know, and I'm like, I got to try to work that in. I'll sandwich it between two things that work in case it doesn't. Because when you're on the road, they're paying mm. a lot. And I owe them a good show and I owe them not to walk through it. So I have a casual sort of demeanor out there, but it doesn't mean it's all not spinning in my head because I have to go that, 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 that. And right. that's hard. That's that's one of the hardest things to do, um, the tour. But it's fun. Movies are fun, but they're a grind. That's a 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day and there's no life mm-hmm. to speak of and then uh but when they come out it's really fun wrong missy came out it's so fun because you see it all together and you're like fuck that's right oh that oh, that. um and that's really good when people get into it and then uh, i don't even know what else i do um stand oh the podcast with dana is always fun because dana well by the way i've heard i mean I've, I've literally never even listened to i've never listened to a podcast i'm gonna listen to your podcast because i've heard it's amazing and if you what's like that what if you like comedy and there's an SNL feel to it, most people have been on SNL or or have hosted or have written on it. Um, I need to tell you that I was I've been mentioned on SNL a bunch of times and you don't understand. It's like the crown <laughs> it's my <laughs> it's my crowning glory. You don't get Pretty so nice. I and well, no, I and I, I tell this story to anyone who will listen and, and no one has really listened, so it's gonna be you. Oh, In college right. and, and <laughs> at NYU, I got an internship through Gary Considine at SNL, but NYU wouldn't give me credit. And SNL said, we can't give you the internship unless you get credit. And I went, and I, and I didn't, I just could, I was in some loophole. And so I never got to do it. Oh God, this is David Spade in a nutshell. Brynn and I are backstage talking to David Spade from the wrong Missy talking to David Spade. Then he has to leave the conversation, go on stage. We don't have a spaceship. So, you know, I don't work at NASA. So we go and walk briskly to get to our seats. Like, Oh, take your Sorry, everybody take your seats. Like it was us. We were just fucking talking to you. Oh, I made fun of you coming in late. Yes. Yeah. From talking to you. <laughs> Cause I took the shortcut. Yeah, you went directly on the stage. Yeah, we were patrons. Okay, so um, that was my only big regret, like not doing that. I just to be in that oh, yeah. space you was my dream. You got to see Farley in the primo pre. Yeah, but I was a loser in the other room. Like you guys were, I want like you were talking to Lauren and you were guys laughing in that room. And I, I just would, would to your point before about get on the road. I never planned an event in my life. I just raised my hand and was like, I'll plan the Tommy Boy premiere. I'll plan the Black Sheep event. Like I just wanted to be in that space. So when Maya Rudolph during the pandemic as the Statue of Liberty and everyone's talking about what they've been through and she's like, we've been through this. We've been through Bethany Frankel. Like, you know, as if I'm a plight, which I am, as you know, because you worked with me. And then last weekend, some uh, the guy ordered um, a, a Bethany Frankel rosé. Like, I die. That is my, that's like the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life. I'm so big time this week. That's pretty big because... Uh... I think it's great that during Black Sheep, you had sex with Farley in Lauren's office. That's that's something. I mean, it was right. And then he passed away. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I uh, I I being mentioned on SNL is hard to not get mentioned in negative light. That's the hard part. I left and he sketch about me three days in like, and this guy's David Spade. He's like, I'm like, let me get out of the fucking building. Jesus. Like, you can't make fun of me immediately. That's really off. I, I'm let- big. Here's my question about you. I know you don't like talk about the stuff you do. Um, not the Golden Bachelor in general, but I have to say, there's something to those shows where they they work everybody and get them drinking, and there is a reward for that. I have to say, on that subject in general. Oh, the reality reckoning. You took interest in that, which I found fascinating. You mentioned it to me at Snake Oil. I think it's. I think it's so out there and obvious that people can't go, oh, that's not how it works over there. No, it's exactly how it works over there. They're all, it's all scripted. It's all whispers and ears. It's all do this. No one's getting rewarded going into a meeting going, I'm very level-headed. And they're like, get the fuck out of here. Like, 
Is that what you want on The Bachelor? Is that what you want on any show? They're not The Bachelor. No, 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 no. But uh, there's always going to be a line. There's going to be a line and and it's been grossly crossed and you're about to find out real soon because there are nuances that you don't think about that you don't know about that are insane. Like there are individual women who their lives have been ruined, who are like in deep, deep therapy, like their way it's bad. So I think sure. there's a line. There's a line and it's been crossed. You don't remember this, but you were on a show called Housewives of uh, Beantown or something. And, New York. Uh, New York. And what happens is, I'm sure at some point they're like, you seem like a nice person. Is there any way you could break this bottle over your friend's head? <laughs> I mean, just <laughs> it might keep you on the show another few seasons. I mean, and I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we like fun. We like people that are exciting and you're a little, you're flatlining lately. I'm sure they say that to so many people because what does pay off? What do, that all that and stuff. And what does happen is, producers get excited about promote and wait for someone to fall off the wagon and really set the person up for failure. Like it's a good, it's the upside down. So in this space, it's a good thing if somebody falls off the wagon, that's fucked up. Right. I mean, listen, we all watch Jersey shore. I want to see Snooki hung over crawling out of a dryer in the morning and with a bounce sheet in her hair wasted And then she goes and gives someone an HJ. Fine. Now, when it comes back and they say, hey, Jersey Shore's back. They're all married and have their shit together. I'm like, why is that? Oh, yeah. No, I and I get it. And I'm for the line, too. Listen, you're I saw your act. You're totally all very inappropriate. I loved it. My daughter's now going to college. You saved me four years in private school after that show. But and I'm I'm completely inappropriate, too. But I, I and I ride the line. But I think crossing the line and intentionally choosing the really weak people that will let you exploit them. It's very cult-like. The weakest person, you can get to do anything because they'll do it. And that's where I think there's a line. And also to not be compensated for the exploitation, like to add insult to injury, years later, you're seeing stuff that you're not even being compensated for. So I just, I, I there's something there's massive like a, that's there. There's like a CTE-ish equivalent of being on these shows and later you're like, You've ruined friendships. You've you you you've lost job opportunities. You know, people see the dirty backstory of your life when you're like that. Really, isn't? I mean, I was trying to do better than that. Like, I agree. I'm not saying I don't agree because, listen, it's, it 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 all looks like fun and games. It's all entertainment. People with popcorn. Oh look, she's wasted. Oh look, she beat up her friend and threw her in the pool. But that stuff that happens in real life that sticks with you for years and years. And there's and it's beyond that. There's drug use. There's sex. There's they want people to have sex. Of course, they want. That's the greatest thing in the world when that happens on the show. The crux of the argument is, is it a work? That's why it's a hybrid gray area. Is it a workplace? So, I mean, listen, being at SNL is obviously not a normal workplace environment. And you've seen it all. And I'm sure it's evolved and changed. But that is a workplace, you know, even though there's a lot of crazy stuff going on late night, etc. This is a workplace, but it's never been treated as such. So the line has gotten totally crossed because you don't have to abide by any workplace concerns. This old comedian, uh, Rich Shiner, when I was starting out, he was he was at the Dallas Improv. The club owner says, why don't you stop by and do a set tonight? And he was just for fun. He goes, no, that's work. He goes, do I have to be anywhere? Do I have to do anything? That's work. So I think what you're saying is those shows, of course, they're like, you have a 7 a.m. call. We're doing a brunch, hair and makeup. You go, you have to be there at least three hours. You're going to eat. You're going to do this. You're going to interact. Then we're going to do some one-on-ones. And that's work. SNL, right. when I, they say Jimmy Fallon was toxic workplace. And I don't know any of the story. I, I know Jimmy from the way I know him, which I love him. But I love him too. And you think, I don't know if we're getting too far with, they said he was giving people dirty looks and stuff. I'm like, do you know what toxic means? I mean, it's thrown around too much. Like, you think oh, more- I oh, I agree. I've been on those shows, and I all I said was every single time I've been on that show, he's been so gracious, come in, and I have allowed for being that I'm yeah. a guest, and I know they're not going to treat me like shit. But I've been on all the shows, and that one's great, and he does not deserve to be canceled. I said that. Yeah, I, I think when I was on SNL, I mean, not beyond toxic, but you know, that's every job I've had in my life. Do you think when I'm there, Lauren puts me on his knee and bounces me and says, "How was this week? Are you doing good?" Yeah. No, he did. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I, I do. Problems. I got mine. These 
these guys got this. Mike Myers is writing Rain's World. Everyone's doing their shit. No one's like, I haven't asked about how you are today. I'm like, I'm shitty. No, oh my God. Yes. Yeah, I'm spe- I just want to make sure you have a good, safe and healthy work-life balance and that you're I want doing a check-in, an emotional well-being check-in. Right. They're like, good, quit. Like one less. Like we don't. Oh, I came up working for Jerry Bruckheimer. Like I, it was called. Ah. Yeah, yeah, you know what that was like. Yeah, I was in. Uh, I was a busboy, as dishwasher. No one is calling me. I could go. This place is so toxic. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> it just means I don't like working. Right. And I know. My boss has been an asshole from the day I started working in my life. Every job, you always hate your boss. It's just the way it is. And to be allowed to go, I don't like it. And I don't feel safe, and I don't feel loved here. Like I don't know what's happening. So it's getting a little too far. Maybe there's some things, but it waters it all down because the word toxic now means nothing. To me. Oh, by the way, and I'm on your side. I'm on the Jeffrey Katzenberg. If you don't come to work on Saturday, don't bother coming in on Sunday or whatever that line was. He said, I'm with you. I, I don't complain. I, there's no like there's no lunch break when I came up. So even with that, that's why what I'm saying, you know, with the reckoning, it's I'm accounting for all that. I'm not like this person that is like gone no. too far. <laughs> Lol. Uh, listen, I've been on both sides of the business. I've been a producer. I've been this. I see it all. I see from both angles, but there is something to what you're saying. Of course, I think that needs to be looked at. So the fact that you're making it aware if anything happens big from it, big changes, small, I think there is something there that they need to look at. It's, it's real. Do you date civilians or do you date people in the industry? And do you date? I usually date, uh, what, what I would look for is civilian or, up to Taylor Swift, I guess that's the that's the mark, the highest. Oh, got it. So like my age range used to be nineteen to ninety. So you've got a big. No, I'm saying a group. Most famous is Taylor Swift in the world, right? Yeah, I'm saying it's a large range. I I I got it. I got it. I got it. Barista to Taylor Swift. More tricky. There's more layers of problems, and the more people know about what you're doing in your life and dating and all that, it seems to exponentially add to problems in the relationship because everyone has an opinion. Everyone is this. So I, I sort of like people that keep things down. So yes, I would uh, date uh, civilians and all that stuff. But I remember wise Chris Rock once gave his friend advice when I was at the table where he said, I want to date. I think he said, I would love to go out with Rihanna. He goes, why don't you date a hostess that looks like Rihanna? That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah, you don't strike me as someone who's looking for a tremendous amount of drama. And I like that you... By the way, no one signed up for having to share everything about their relationship. It's such a terrible situation. It really... There's no upside. I'm looking at this Travis Taylor thing. You cannot win in a situation where there are two peacocks in a relationship and you're in a snow globe that everyone's looking at. Travis Kelsey, that Taylor Swift is going to move to the top of his resume. So now, for the next 10 years minimum, even if they break up tomorrow, What's Taylor Swift like? How's Taylor Swift? He's like, I'm a huge football player. Like, I know, but you went out. And suddenly it diminishes a little bit of what he's done because it's too much over that. And that's what people love. So he's a fucking stud. I mean, I have really no problem with that other than it. it, it, it it's a little obvious for me. Like, why are you driving a convertible when you take her? I'm like, what? I thought so, too. It's like the queen's moves. This is like you're literally she she moves like the queen. Everyone sees every eyelash. This is all intentional. Not saying it's marketing, but they're both getting something from it publicly. Otherwise, they wouldn't be so public about it. A little itchy, but you know, most people I know you hear later they dated or you're like, oh, you know, they went out. You're like, oh, but they ever. It's hard to squish down because when people can see you, but you know, you can see when she went out with that other guy, Joe, somebody they didn't hear about it for two years. You didn't hear Pete. You're right. Even at Taylor Swift's level, you can date quietly. It's not easy, but famous people that date can hide it. And famous people that are out with it want to be out with it. So I like your your secret style. All right, you go. Heather, thanks for laughing at David's jokes. And text me. Okay. Have a great day. Thanks for doing this, David. There's a shortcut to platinum status at Shell. To saving 10 cents per gallon on every fill every day. Just fill up six times with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline, and it's yours. Plus, you'll rejuvenate your engine. Get ready to level up performance, rewards, and savings. With continuous use in gasoline direct injection engine fuel injectors, Platinum Status is earned with 12 fill-ups over three months, 10-gallon minimum per fill-up, at participating Shell locations. Terms apply. Visit FuelRewards.com status. 
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the planet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? Turns out, that story was way bigger than just an optical illusion. It's a cautionary tale about the decline of clickbait sites, the rise of algorithms and internet polarization, and the end of fun on the internet. Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.